Hello students and welcome back to the Lore of the Iron Kingdoms with me, Professor Caster. Today we're actually going to be talking about the Blacklads and every other unit and solos that we have not discussed in the archives for the Circle Oberos. So today we'll be finishing up our Circle of Oberos armies and everything we know about them. And then in the following chapter we'll be going on to the older archives and going over the history. But before we begin, thank you so much for listening, and if you would, please like, subscribe, comment, let me know if you're enjoying the Circle Obros or the Code Ogre that we're going over, and thank you again, Privateer Press, for letting us read your fantastic lore. And without further ado, let's begin. First off, we'll be talking about the Druids of Obros, Circle Unit. To preserve natural order, we must be prepared to harness primordial forces to hold the predation of the civilized world at bay. Known mainly as blackclads to outsiders, druids are discussed in whispers. They are seen as heralds of doom, dark cultists, and reminders of a time when mankind feared the wilderness. They are known to invoke brutal reprisal on any who interfere with their plans. Seeing multiple druids emerge from the mist of a dark forest is enough to unnerve even the most veteran soldiers. With the wilding fresh in their blood, they gather to channel enormous natural power over the earth. The greatest among them can make the ground itself betray enemies and swallow them whole. Druids wield mighty vulges, but their true power lies in their mastery of primal forces. Wreathed in the storm, they confound enemies with winds and mists and draw upon the chaotic energies of Oberos to disrupt and unravel magic formulae wrought by arcanists, warlocks, or priests. Obros druids seldom fight in the open, dense forest part to facilitate their advance, and then close to shroud them in protective cover. They prefer to keep to the trees, move through marshy swamps, or attack from the advantage of cliffs. Though sending precious druids into battle is a risk, the circle believes that this will strengthen through conflict as worthy rise to power and the weak are cold. And I've personally gone up against these guys a number of times, and I tell you what, Unless you have some very heavy warriors on your side or very heavy warjacks, these guys will make a mess out of any standard unit with the amount of spells these guys can dish out. So be wary anytime you see a group of black clad. Well, I think it's funny they call them black clads because they're usually in black cloaks, so they're black clad and cloaks. Yeah. But anytime you see a group of of three or more of these guys be very wary because these guys do not mess around but let's move on to their leaders of the unit the overseer black clad overseers occupy a vital tier in the hierarchy of the circle obros while not yet recognized as potent they possess even more impressive abilities than the inexperienced warders Overseers must learn not only to apply their strength to further the goals of the circle, but also to lead others effectively. They might not always understand how their mission fit into the higher plans, but they know the consequences of failure becomes increasingly dire. Overseers are tasked by potents to oversee specific territories and regulate the lesser druids operating within them. They must travel between sacred sites and protect them from interlopers who would defile them. Calling 
on their subordinates and nearby wolves of Orbros when necessary to present a show of force. Overseers have experienced all the essential paths of Orbros. Tapping into these abilities provide them with heady rush and the first hint of what the druids can eventually become. The earth trembles at their call, gusts of wind batter at their foes, at the waves of their hands, and they can draw upon the surrounding energies of Orbros to protect themselves and their companions from the ravages of the elements. Spells from even the most powerful arcane traditions become useless in the Overseer's presence. Well, and I've probably seen these guys before too, but honestly, I get black clads mixed with each other so often. Um, you can't really see their face. Most of them usually carry the same type of weapon. Outside of the spells they use, these guys all kind of look the same to me. And most of them hang out in the forest anyway, so I can't really get a good sight on what they actually look like. But let's see the Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes of these guys, shall we? Alrighty, we're going to start with the Druids of Obros, a three-man unit. The speed is still six. Their magic attack is still six for the basic unit. Their mat is still five. And their defense is still 13. Their arm is still 13. Uh, they still have Prowl. They still have Pathfinder, which is great for them because they are Druids and that makes sense that they have Pathfinder. One of the main things that have changed is their spell list. And that has been simplified up dramatically. So outside of their spell list, they have Condition as a special action. So Condition allows you to place one Fury or remove from Fury from a War Beast. And then on their spell list, they have Dig In as a special action. So they do not block line of sight and they gain, you know, cover. And then the only offensive spell they have now is a Wind Strike, which is a range 10, POW 10, Arcane Attack that pushes things that hits D3 away. So that actually allows you to do some uh, model moving shenanigans that I have seen many times before pushing war jacks outside of the range of their warcaster which caused all sorts of shenanigans so yeah these guys are still dangerous i think they're just trying to simplify the amount of moves that they do um, because they are a little bit smaller of a unit they've made them cheaper they've made them a little more streamlined basically Unfortunately, they lost their Pulse of the Earth, which was a AoE that knocked things down, and they lost their Summon Vortex, which created a cloud effect. But I imagine because they put on their Dig In ability, I imagine that kind of takes care of the Summon Vortex, and it gives them a lot heavier uh, defense buff from that. So, And I've tried to shoot these guys when they are in Dig In, and it is almost impossible trying to hit a guy who has a defense 17 but let's move on to their overseer leader attachment all right the overseer speed is still six um, attack with magic is a seven math still a six defense still a 13 and armor still 13 as well but their main differences here are their spell list again but before we get into that they were given the ability Divine Retribution, which is a once-per-game ability that gives everybody in the unit an additional die on their melee attack and melee damage rolls. And then they remove the lowest of each die roll. Also, this guy granted elemental power now instead of him having to do a special action or elemental resistance. 
which makes these guys resistant to every element. So they get cold resistance, corrosion resistance, electric resistance, and resistance to fire as well. And outside of the normal digging spells and wind strike spells of the standard unit, he also gets grip of shadows, which uh, is a special action that he can give telemetry or telemetry, whatever. It gives you a plus two magic attack roll against enemies within eight. So it actually makes their makes pretty much everybody in the unit a magic sniper at a magic of what eight nine on him, which you know most likely you're not going to miss that. Also, he still has prowl. So yeah, outside of those few changes, unfortunately their spell list got a little bit more limited. But I feel like it just makes the game a lot more streamlined. But let's move on. Shifting Stones Circle Unit. Trollkin are proud of their Creel Stones, but even their understanding of and the reverence for the power of stone pales in comparison to that of the Circle Oberos. For many centuries, the Druids have explored and increasingly mastered this power and have used intricate columns carved with the mythic runes to mark their territories. These Shifting Stones denote the boundaries of Druids' land, but they are far more than that. They also tap into the pervading essence of Orbros that gathers at certain nexus points below the soil of Cain and flows through the ley lines and represents the capillaries and arteries within the body of Orbros. The druids of the circle have unparalleled knowledge of this unseen web of energies that crisscross the face of the world, and they use these shifting stones to mark and manipulate these channels of power. Key to the process are the carefully inscribed symbols and patterns upon the faces and the recesses of these pillars. These inscriptions are no mere decorations, but part of the precise mystical language that is an unwavering as mathematical formulae. On activated stones, these markings glow with an eerie green and eldritch luminescence that has led more than one lost traveler to the death at the hands of the Circle Guardian. Guardians. Some of the greatest stones have hewn from carefully guarded quarries and inscribed with the most potent runes, possess a number of occult abilities. Some can send messages across tremendous distances. Others can heal even severe wounds. It is their ability to expedite druidic teleportation across ley lines that is their greatest power, however. The versatility power of these stones is one reason the movement of the Circle Oberos druids is so difficult to track or anticipate. It allows them to launch unexpected reinforcements upon their enemy. And I've seen these things all over the place when I was going up against the Circle. And these guys not only are annoying because they do heal creatures around them, or you know, constructed creatures around them, so the already annoying stonework creatures that they like to use but these guys also are really good at blocking any kind of lanes during a battle because these guys just kind of show up in the wrong spot if you're trying to you know get to a warlock or get to the juicy bits of an army when you have the opportunity these guys will just stand in the way and create all sorts of impassable objects but let's move on to the stonekeeper who is their attachment Stonekeepers are responsible for guarding the precious shifting stones that connect the ways between the circle's sites of power. These druids maintain their vigils with stoic resolve, knowing their efforts are vital to the success of the order. 
When the order needs these stones brought forth to the battlefield, it is the keepers who guide them precisely where they need to be. The druids weave concealing magic and obscure their stones from detection and strike down the unlucky enough to venture near. The life of the stone keepers is lonely, but these stewards are well respected, particularly by the wayfarers. Commanding the tremendous power beneath the soil, keepers can smash their enemies from below by wielding the earth itself as a crushing gauntlet. So attuned to the earthen charges are they that their flesh can become hard as stone and their minds are as immovable as immortal rock. Their solitude grants stonekeepers time to ponder the shifting stones and the subtle networks of leyline energies that flow invisibly beneath the earth. To the uninitialized, the interskies of the lesser and greater stones making up the network seem unfathomable. Channeling really warping powers that can send druids and their allies across great distances, the stones withdraw into the earth without warning and rise elsewhere in perfectly coordinated configurations. The black lads who tend to have them attune themselves with the shifts and moves and the harmony among them. Yeah, these guys are also very bad if you ever run into them as well, because these guys are basically an attack form for the shifting stones, because normally when the stones go around, they're just annoying. But then you add their stone keeper, and he adds some very, very annoying attacks that can, you know, pretty much decimate most low-armored units, so... Yeah, this guy is definitely one to watch out for, but let's see their Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, shall we? Alrighty, the basic shifting stone is a defense 5 armor 20, which is 2 armor higher than its Mark 3. Um, they are still constructs, they still have advanced deployment, so that is a great for them. They still have immobile, and they still have serenity, so they can't be moved, and they can leech fury off of friendly war beasts around them. Also, they removed circular vision, which is weird that they had circular vision because uh, they're stones, but you know, I suppose that was to avoid backstrikes. But since there is no a back arc now, we don't have to worry about it now. And their abilities seem to still be the same. They still have the healing field, which they can heal models near them a D3. Uh, they still have their shifting, so they can still move anywhere completely within 8 inches, which is an incredible move. And then they still have the ability to teleport things that are within all three Shifting Stones' area, I guess. So, yeah, the only thing about these guys that is different is they became higher armor. So, great. Gives them a lot more survivability and makes them more annoying to their enemies. And then some of the differences on the Stone Keeper from Mark III to Mark IV is he became a solo instead of a unit attachment. So, that's great. Allows him to, well kind of oversee a bunch of a bunch of stones I imagine all at once which makes sense since he does hang out with stones all the time uh, the abilities he is given well let's read over his stats first speed still six mat still five rat well he doesn't have a rat anymore because he doesn't have any need for it defense still 13 and armor still 13 and he still has advanced deploy and he still has pathfinder which makes perfect sense since he is a druid and he still has his prowl ability but he can't not grant prowl to the stones anymore which actually kind of makes sense since stones can't really blend into forest well they can but i imagine that's usually because they're overgrown not because um, they they're secretive but since he's not attached to them anymore i guess he is now a lot of his abilities are just his own 
but all of his magic abilities have been replaced. So he lost Rock Hammer and he lost Stone Shield. And he gained Dig In, which gives him a plus four to his defense, which gets him up to a 17 defense. He was given Earth Spikes, which is a range 10 AoE 2, a POW 13, 7 Arcane Attack. And on a critical hit, they knock people down. And then he was given Nature's Secret, which he can target construct models. And then those models gain Prowl. So technically, he can still give people Prowl. He just doesn't, he can't grant a unit Prowl because he's now solo. So that makes sense. So outside of that, he's just a solid solo now instead of a solid weapon attachment. So let's move on. Sentry Stone and Mannequins Blackclad spent decades inscribing stones with runes that would allow mystical energies to seep through their essence. These energies give rise to the inexplicable patterns that, while not alive, mimic thought, reaction, and awareness. Stones inscribed in this way are valued as sentries for their innate territorial aggression and placed in complement wolds protecting significant sites. Sentry stones often draw upon the power of ley lines flowing beneath them to enhance the growth of the nearby foliage and give rise to the corpse of trees, thus concealing themselves from any who would wander into the areas they are tasked with defending. Each sentry stone surrounds itself with animated creations cobbled together from sticks and vines. Known as mannequins, these constructs stalk the perimeter of the sacred site on the behalf of the sentry stones. The clattering sounds made by their angular bodies is as unnerving as their stilted gates. Fortunately for civilization, these deadly mannequins collapse if they venture beyond the influence of the stone that animated them. Should any intruder come within their grasp, mannequins should almost sentient pleasure in rendering the flesh of the trespassers. They can slice a man into fertilizer in but a few brief painful moments while the runes of the century stone glow brightly. And I've gone up against these things a many a time and the worst part about them is not only are they really just awful to have to go up against because these things are powered by that stone. Anytime you feel like you've destroyed one, the stone can reanimate whatever other branches are near it to come out with more of these guys. So you really kind of have to go after the stone only. Yeah, yeah, these guys are very dangerous and and that stone is holding a lot of power and keeping those things going. So yeah, you want to remove those off the field as quickly as possible, except that they have a decent amount of armor on that stone. So yeah, it's going to be a trudge, but let's see the Mark three to Mark four changes, shall we? Alrighty. And it appears these guys are more dangerous than they were before. So the, we'll start with the, we'll start with the leader stone. Well, technically they're all solos now, which allows some pretty awful shenanigans going on because now you don't have to activate it all as one unit they all activate individually but let's start with the big stone he still has forest growth so he can still pop up a forest around him spinning one fury he still is immobile so he can't be moved can't be pushed he still has prowl so when that forest does go up he turns invisible he still has strange growth which allows him to move five inches he still has wellspring which if he doesn't have three fury on him he gets 1d3 fury Rolling a dice, he would get Fury back. And then he has Natural Summons, which he can spend one Fury to summon a another mannequin onto the battlefield as a solo. Within three inches, of course, and up to three mannequins are allowed in play at a time. Mannequins, the solos now, instead of a unit, 
are fury linked, so while they're within 10 of that stone, they can use the fury that's on it to boost attacks or damage rolls, which is awful. However, the most awful thing is their rat has gone up from a rat of 4 to a rat of 6, and their attack is Splinter Burst, which is a spray at a POW 10, so it makes them a lot more accurate with that with that thing than they were before, which is terrifying, especially since I've seen those before clear out three or four guys all at once because they can boost the shot or boost the damage rolls and just decimate the entire thing. And they're magical weapons as well, so that means they can attack things that are incorporeal or ghostly. Ghostly incorporeal. I get them confused all the time. But they still have Pathfinder, they still have Construct, and they still have Advanced Deployment. But it just makes them a lot more terrifying that they don't have to run as one unit. Each of them can run individually and just use Fury off the main body. So, yeah, watch out for these guys in the very near future, but let's move on. Stoneward and Woldstalkers. Adapting to the pace of the escalating wars, the druids have turned their craft to the animating even greater quantities of inert materials to create legions made on earth and stone. Once used to hunt those who despoiled places of significance to the Circle Oberos, Woldstalkers are now appearing in ever greater numbers. The stone words who craft these fast and efficient killers also lead their creations to battle. Each Woldstalker is an implement of the Stonewold's will. Guided by his mental commands and protected by his druidic enchantments, the black-clad steer their creation's movements and choose the targets of their Serene's attacks. Through his constructs, a single black clag magnifies his own power fivefold. A particularly sort of discipline and concentration is required to direct multiple stalkers operating simultaneously with loose independence. This is practice skill for the stormwards, stonewards, whose guidance linger even after their deaths. A wold stalker will continue to follow the druid's last impulse, hunting its prey with inhuman perseverance. Though Woldstalkers are simple in form and function, being essentially floating conduits of concentrated energy, the collective firepower they can unleash is formidable. Each Woldstalker trembles violently as glowing energy flows up its wooden frame to be focused in a small crystal orb that unleashes a devastating blast. And I've actually gone up against these things as well, and the blasts have taken out Warjacks. They've removed Man of War, um, and if you don't wear armor, they're just going to remove you outright. And the ability of these guys to control all of these little flying laser machines is pretty uh, terrifying. So, yeah, these, uh, even though they don't have super high armor, well, they kind of have super high armor, they're armor 15, they're still super dangerous and you want to try to remove them as quickly as possible, so... But let's read their Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, shall we? And if you can believe it, these guys have not changed up very much because these guys are perfect killing machines the way they are. Still a Speed 6, still a Rat 6, or Mat 5, depending on if you're Stone Warden you use. I find it weird that he uses a melee weapon even though he runs a ranged unit. Yeah, weird. But unit leader is still a Black Clan. He still gives the unit... Concentrated fire, which is a cumulative plus one bonus to the damage each time a model hits its target. So, this guy at a five man unit can get you guys up to a, well, basically a plus four. 
so on their damage which is pretty significant since their power on their weapons are already a power 12. Um, he still gives the special action of Zephyr so models can immediately in the unit immediately move three inches and he still has self-sacrifice so models in the unit can take a hit for this guy if he would be destroyed which he most likely will be since he doesn't have any health points and the main little flying guys they're a rat six range 10 rate of fire one pound 12 magic attack with of course gunfighter because well that makes sense since that's their only weapon so yes these guys are very dangerous and one of the few six-man units in the mark four setup so be careful watch out for these guys they're they do a lot more damage than you would expect but let's move on Black-clad Stone Shapers, Circle Solo. Black-clad Stone Shapers are tasked with building the arcane constructs that serve the Circle Obros. Fashioned from stone, wood, and carefully cut orbs of glowing crystal, their world creations are animated through ancient rites and blood sacrifices. When shaping natural materials, these druids call upon their mystical arts to hold the stones aloft while carving a complex series of runes deep into them through magical means. This process allows each druid to do the work of a score of mundane stone workers in half the time. With the runes inscribed upon the stones, the power present in the leyline conjunctions bring these creations to life, and the will of the wolds to carry out their master's bidding. Stone shapers bear no weapons of any kind, but rely on their power over earth and might of the wolds that crush their enemies with impunity. The stone shaper's connection with the stone he works runs deep, as does his understanding of both the form and function. While constructs possess no inherent will, stone shapers can reach out with their minds and stir the lumbering creations to action, urging them to batter enemy lines and topple engines of war. The druid and the constructs they create share a bond, regardless of whose commands the wolds follow, and such creations will readily defend the craftsmen from harm. Likewise, stone shapers keep the wolds in top fighting form, repairing fractured limbs and cracked stone, and when necessary, crafting entire new components to replace those damaged during the height of combat. The power of the stone shaper has kept the circle's many constructs fighting long after the living beast would have succumbed to the same wounds, these wolds smashing their way through one engagement after another to achieve the aims of the order. And these guys are also very dangerous, and I've had to go up against multiple of these guys on the same battlefield, and when they're running lots of, of their stone wolds, these guys get very, very dangerous, and even though they're squishy, they're also super hard to get to because their wolds will always protect them, and they'll always stay in front of them in battle, so if you can take these guys out with a lucky shot, just do it, or you're... Your front line will be decimated by wolves coming to attack. But let's see their Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, shall we? Alrighty, their stats. They're still a speed 6, still a magic attack of 6, still defense 13, still arm 13, and still have Pathfinder. And these guys have their magic abilities have gotten a little bit better. Uh, they were given Earth's power, which allows them to give constructs a war beast around them a plus 2 to their melee damage rolls, which is terrifying. Uh, they still have the ability to repair Constructs D6. And then they were given Stone Spray, which is a Spray 8, POW 12, Magic Attack, and on a critical, it knocks him down. It appears that they gave up quite the stones, which allowed them to remove one Fury from the Stonework guys around them, which is cool and all, but since Constructs aren't really affected by having Fury on them, like they don't have to make a 
they don't have to make a frenzy roll or anything like that. It was kind of unnecessary, and it just kind of allowed him to, you know, hold on to Fury from the last turn. So that is cool. Um, also, they removed Stone Sentinel. Um, it's probably just for uh, just for ease of ease of gameplay, most likely. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I remember back in the day when the Kodor mechanics had uh, had a Sentinel ability. That gave them a plus two to attack and damage rolls or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but they used to have an ability if they were near a warjack, they would get some kind of, I think it was called Iron Sentinel. Honestly, I can't remember. It was so long ago. But that one is removed, so we don't need to worry about it. Let's move on. Next up is the Black-clad Mist Riders. They stalk the mountain heights and strike with the fury of the storm. Mounted on swift Skirovic mountain goats, native to the northern Kadoran peaks, these black clads bring the speed and ferocity of the summit storm to bear as they strike from walls of churning mist. They often assist the mountain patrols and the protection of isolated shifting stone sites, using their ability to quickly cover a difficult ground in the service of the order. Hit and run operations have become the Mist Rider's speciality. New riders and their mounts engage in a fierce sparring upon the craggy peaks, charging one another until the crack of the horn joins the clash of thunder in harmony to achieve between rider and mount. Once conditioned, these mountain goats need little prompting to heed the rider amid the storms and they battle alike. Though this tradition originated in the northern mountain ranges, mist riders are now found across western Amoran, with concentrations in the south of Wormwall. Once the riders learn to harness the elements of these remote peaks, they shroud in forms and fog or sheets of rain that blend the silhouette into the trees and rocks while flashes of lightning sear their opponents. I've actually never seen these uh, goat riding wizards anywhere before just because I imagine even though they are all over the place now, they are still semi-rare because, well, I really don't ever see these guys, so. But they would be noticeable since they are technically black clads riding goats so or armored goats technically but let's read over their mark 3 to mark 4 changes and see what we got alrighty these guys are a unit of 3 um, they no longer have a leader they still have their battle wizard ability they still have prowl they still have reposition 3 um, looks like the only thing that changed a little bit was their magic of course Alrighty, looks like they still have Chain Lightning, so they still got the ability to shoot a POW-10 electrical attack that jumps to D3 consecutive models, doing another POW-10 electrical attack. Um, looks like they lost their Summon Vortex, but they gained Obscuring Mist, so the unit gains Concealment, which is great because they have Prowl. So if they have Concealment and Prowl, that means they have Stealth, which thus you can't see them, so... An already quick unit now turns invisible with a defense 14 whenever you get close enough to them, which is awful. Uh, then they were given Stone Spray Magic Attack as well, which is a spray 8 pound 12 arcane attack and on a critical and knocks him down. And the entire unit still has their brutal charge with a mat 6 and a pound 10. So they are formable in melee, but these guys are definitely a magic unit and like to be so. And they are limited to three instead of a five manning since five manings don't really exist for anything medium based or over anymore so let's move on black clad wayfarer circle solo with the peal of thunder in the scent of ozone the wayfarer appears deep behind enemy lines moving unseen wind swirling around his black cowl form 
He raises his hand to the darkening heavens, clouds heavy with storm buckle and heave at his summons. While the enemy hesitates in fear and confusion, howls emerge from the darkness as the druid's allies pour forth from the trees in the terrible swiftness to answer his call. Shifting stones pulse with a strange light as the wayfarer steps near. For those who boast a special connection to these stones and their power to move man or beast along the thumbing ley lines below the surface of the earth, Druids gathering in secret at their far-flung sacred sites can expect a wayfarer to appear at any time bearing new keys and struggling or omens of conflicts to come. At other times, wayfarers bear a seal of the omnipotence, arrive to pass down orders or conscribe subordinate druids and their allies to war. The wayfarers enter battle with the confidence of decades spent honing his power. His arrival throwing enemies into chaos as they scramble to deal with the unexpected threat. In an instant, he vanishes with a thunderclap, only to reappear amid his allies to lead them to victory. And I've gone up against these guys a lot. Every time I see the druids, I seem to see these guys hanging out with them. And these guys, even though they're not, you know, melee combatants, their spells are definitely what you should always look out for. And their ability to make their druids army even better through things like their hunter mark ability, or things like that make these guys incredibly dangerous. But let's read their Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, shall we? And guess what? If they are, if they work, why change it, right? They are still a speed 6, still a mat 7, still a magic 7, uh, still a defense 14, and an arm 13. They still have Hunter's Mark, so they can still, you know, zap that onto one of your guys and give everybody in the army a plus 2 speed to run up to it. And I believe it also makes charges free. Yeah, it does. Uh, they still have phase jumps, so anywhere on the field they can jump to a stone within 12 of them. Any kind of shifting stones. So if you see shifting stones in these guys on the field, prepare for some movement shenanigans. And then they, of course, still have their stone spray ability, which is a spray 8, pow 12, arcane attack, critical effect, knocks people down, and of course they still have prowl. So this guy has not changed at all from Mark III to Mark IV. The only thing that this guy has been changed is now he is half price. So he was Mark, he was four points in Mark III. He is now two points now. So that explains why you're seeing a lot more of him if you are on the field. But uh, yeah, terrifying and watch out for this guy. But let's move on. Druid Wilder, Circle Blacklad Solo. Every Blacklad is a potent invoker of the world's primal energies. Even the least among them commands a fundamental power of natural chaos. But the journey to true power is long and Druids must first serve before being deemed ready to command. Those who are experienced the Wilding are brought into the Order very young and are raised by mentors who act more to them like stern masters than surrogate parents. Every day these youths face new trials and challenges to learn the ways and philosophy of the Order. In its lengthy apprenticeship, the Wilding gaining knowledge from observation as much as from instruction, steeped in mysteries, until their past outside the Order is completely forgotten. Once the reach an appropriate age and demonstrate competence in the mystical arts, the most promising Wilders accompany their masters into battle. There they put their lives on the line while learning to command ferocious war beasts or channel spells through druidic power in combat. This stage of initiation in the circle's mystery is extremely dangerous. Wilders are expected to serve as their masters' right hands and obey without question. 
Though few senior blackclads will expend the life of a wilder casually, the young druids often find themselves in harm's way. Those who survived their years of training emerged from the Crucible stronger, ready to take their places as higher members of the Order. And I've actually seen these guys quite a bit as well. They're usually attached to, well, of course, warlocks, as mentioned in the archives. Um, these guys are a great arcane supporter, and they will do anything for their warlock they're following around. But let's go over their Mark III to Mark IV changes, and you can see how great these guys actually are as an attachment. Alrighty, what they have kept is they're still a Pathfinder, and they have Arcane Support so they can upkeep one spell from their Warlock without them having to spend the focus for it. They were given the special action Medicaid, which is a D3 plus 1 healing spell for Living War Beast. And then they maintained Spell Slave so they can cast one spell from their Warlock's list that is less, there is three focus or less. So they've lost hurting, so unfortunately that is gone. So they can't command Force or Leech War Beast outside of command while within their stuff. So fortunately that is gone as well. And then, well, their Medicaid magic ability is gone just because it got better. So, you know, that's no longer necessary. So, yeah, they've became a little simpler and the war. Locks, Warjacks, or sorry, Warlocks, Warbeasts have to be closer to it now. So that is where they are now. But still very useful because anybody that supplies arcane support is always going to be useful in times of need because focus is a very limited commodity. So there you go. Let's move on. Moving on to the Gallows Grove, Circle Solo. Among the oldest manifestations of the Devourer Worm, conscious will of Cain are trees that sustain themselves on blood. Whether provided by deliberate sacrifices or incidental slaughter, these hungry watchers are often warped and shaped by generations of obsidian... Absence. Absence? Sorry, it's one of those weird words. To the Devourer Worm and have stood mute witness to the offerings of both druids and cultists for so long that even the wind through their branches seems to whisper its approval. Having endured millennia of fire, war, and the acts of man, those ancient trees that still stand have gained an unsettling approximation of sentience and now prowl the deepest forests as ominous scavengers. Ominous scavengers. When sacrifice becomes scarce in the given area, the tree might vanish only to reappear in another part of the forest its roots drinking deeply from the carcasses of dead animals. Though they are unable to actively strike out at prey, they are irresistibly drawn to blood-drenched soil. The trees silently appear amid the camps of the Circle's warbands as if they had ever been rooted in place. Though their position shifts and changes after battle, it is joined reappearing wherever blood runs freely, leading druids send their will into these ready conduits of Orberos's power to be unleashed upon those marked for death. Their presence, or their very presence, of the tree saps vitality from the living as wounds gape wide and pour blood upon the thirsty roots of their destroyers. Druids who make use of them will cultivate the same groves for years, forging relationships akin to the bonds they have with their beasts. The ruined manifestation of their trunks are not carved by simply appears in the gallows grove, feeds on the bodies and souls of the slain. 
Senior druids insist auguries' importance can be discerned by examining these runes as they slowly change over decades of feasting. And these guys are definitely like Wormwood as well. They're just little mini manifestations. And they create all sorts of havoc on the battlefield. I've gone up against these guys a number of times. And trees with runes in them that move around and soak up blood and keep things from being able to be put back together is a very dangerous tree to have around. Unless, of course, you're the druids, and then that helps you out remarkably. But let's read over their three or Mark 3 to Mark 4 changes, shall we? And, of course, these guys haven't changed much either. They're still a defense 5, armor 16. Um, Orlocks can still channel spells through them. They still have entropic force, so models within 5 can't have damage removed from them and lose the tough ability. They're still immobile. Um, they still have prowl, so while they're in concealment, they get stealth. And they still have strange growth, so they still move 5 inches. Uh, the things that were removed were circular vision, because everybody has circular vision now. And Central Locus, because since Circular Vision is now a thing, it doesn't have any back arcs, so of course you wouldn't need that. And these guys still have advanced deployment, so basically the same guy that it was before. Because if it's not broke, why fix it? But let's move on. And before we begin with the, the battle engines of the Circle Obros, we are going to talk about the Hermit Pinchold, one of his own archives he put together for Chuck Dogwood. And let's figure out who Chuck Dogwood is, because he is kind of crazy. And that's crazy even compared to the rest of Orboros. So, let's begin. And of course, I see that the Hermit of Hinchhold had some fun writing Chuck Dogwood's description in the archives. How much wood would Chuck Dogwood chuck if Chuck Dogwood could chuck wood? You'll never know because you'll teleport your keister into the sun. Chuck Dogwood. He may look like an insane hobo. But he also is one, even though the last druid of Orbros has driven a tiny bit crazy by all the apocalyptic nonsense. And yes, he is a very crazy, and if you are on the YouTube channel, you will see his pictures and, of course, his wold that he has as a hand puppet. Because, well, he is the last of the druids of Orbros after the Oblivion Crisis. So, But let's check out his Mark III to Mark IV changes and see what we got. Alrighty, his stats are still a speed 6, um, still a magic attack of 7, still a... Well, actually his mat went up to a 7, so he's actually a little bit better on melee. Uh, his defense is still 14, and his armor is still 13. He still has stealth, he still has pathfinder, and his main weapon still has a dark banishment. Which, for everybody that doesn't know, dark banishment... Anytime he hits somebody, they are teleported D6 plus 3 inches away from their current location, which is actually better than the original banishment that they had in Mark III, because I think the original one only placed you 1 inch away, but this guy can throw you pretty dang far away. Also, he lost his veteran leader of constructs, unfortunately, and Mark IV. That was probably for a reason, but I'm not sure what that reason was. And he, on his magic abilities, he still has Craft Talisman, he still has Phase Jump, and he still has Puppet Master, which makes sense since these guys did come from the Riot Quest scenario, so a lot of these guys were already super updated anyway, so them getting blended into Mark IV without changing all that much is actually pretty common, so yeah. So he is actually a pretty dang useful guy to have. 
because with his craft talisman, he gives the leader of his army a plus two range on their spells. His phase jump allows him to jump to stones like a black lad wayfarer. And his puppet master allows him to make somebody have to reroll an attack or damage die. So it's a great way to help control the battlefield. But yeah, that's Chuck Dogwood. Let's get on to the Circle Obros battle engines. And let's start with the Celestial Fulcrum, Circle Blackclad battle engine. Those uninitiated into the mysteries of Obros are slaves to the seasons of Cain. They are mercilessly scourged by the elements and must bend a knee to the prevailing climate. Not so with the druids of the circle. None of their works better demonstrates their mastery of natural cycles than the celestial fulcrum. Each one of these creations is an awe-inspiring device that not only illustrates the workings of Cain's firmament, but also mimics the celestial movements with a sympathetic harmony evoking the power of the seasons. A power to be wielded against those who would defy the druids' will. The blackclads have charted the orbits of Cain's three moons for millennia, Kaldar, the largest among them, is easily distinguished by its blue-white glow, but its siblings are more elusive. The next largest moon, Laris, is black and brown speckles, vanishes from normal sight for long periods. The smallest artist glows a white streaked pale green, turning to the glowing lily white as it waxes. The druids know that each moon has great sway over Cain and that the influence of all three can be felt in the tides, storms, and even surges of power through the ley lines within the earth. The celestial fulcrum contains empowered orbs that precisely model the orbits of Cain's moons. Spring orbits allow the orbs to summon jagged lightning storms that lash out as embodiments of the devourer's claws and fangs. As the orbits shift into summer, withering blasts of heat emanates like drafts from the forest fire. As summons gives way to fall and winter, the fulcrum's parts rotate to generate a killing wind able to transform even the hottest day into a frozen wasteland. Blackclads first learn these secrets through simple orioles and armillary spheres. Sorry, it's a hard word. Armillary? Yeah, we'll move on. Crafted from stone and rock. As the mysteries were revealed, the druids made ever more powerful versions that harnessed the energies inherent in each season until the first celestial fulcrum was perfected. This creation tracks the movement of the season so precisely that it can generate purposeful manifestations of the elements. Senior druids study the orbits represented via the fulcrums to glean deepening insight on the long-term motions of Orbros and its moons. As the circle's agenda becomes increasingly militant, the celestial fulcrums are more often leveraged as weapons of tremendous power, tangible proof of the circle's will dominating and channeling the raw strength of Orboros. And I've gone up against this thing quite a few times, and it is always devastating the amount of ice, fire, and unlightning that this thing can whip out. And not only that, this thing also pulls in focus as well, so it can boost attacks and damage rolls, making this even more dangerous to have to go up against. And I've seen this wipe out entire groups of elves, well, mostly mage hunter elves, because yeah, this thing just goes right through them. Because the moment this thing hits one of them, it can remove anything off the battlefield because the power of these weapons are astounding. But let's go over the Mark III to Mark IV changes, shall we? Alrighty, and let's begin. The stats are basically the same, still a speed of 5, 
Still a rat of six, still a defense of 10, still an arm 19. Uh, he's immune to fire, electricity, and frost. He's still a pathfinder, he's still a construct. Um, one of the major things that changed on this guy outside of, you know, circular vision no longer being a thing because everybody has circular vision now. Uh, this guy was given Fury Bank instead of Fury Generator. And what Fury Bank allows him to do is a Warjack, or sorry, a Warlock can dump Fury onto this model. And this guy can also leech uh, Fury off of friendly faction Construct War Beast while within 10 during your control phase. And this guy can have up to three Fury on him at a time, which makes that even greater. Because in the original setup, he could only gain one Fury at the start of your control phase. So him being able to just get it from everybody uh, really gets this guy powered up super quick. Unfortunately for anybody who has to go up against this, makes him even more dangerous. And then, of course, he still has his veteran leader for Blackclads. So he gives them all a plus one to their attack rolls while within 10 of him which makes him even more dangerous. Uh, one of the things they removed is gun platform. I imagine they just removed that anyway, just because, well, a lot of guys were just given gunfighters so they can make melee attacks, or they can make ranged attacks while in melee because uh, all the things this thing shoots out are not spells. They're technically melee attacks, and he can shoot off every single one of them every turn. So there's that. His flame blast is still a rat six. Still a ranged 11. Um, still rate of fire 1. It dropped to an AoE 3, but AoEs are different in the newer setups. So this is still a... Uh, you hit the main target, and then you hit 3 additional targets within 3. Still a power 15 on the main guy, and a 8 on the guys that are hit by it. Um, still does continuous fire, fire damage, and it is magical as well. Uh, Lightning Strike still has Electro Leap. It is a range 13, still a POW 14, still very dangerous, still a magic attack. And then Winter's Rage is still a Spray 10 and still a Power 12 and can cause Critical Freeze. So basically this guy just got better with his Fury Management and is still just crazy powerful and... He is cheaper as well, because he was 19 points in Mark III, and now he is 13 points in Mark IV, most likely due to the new rules that allow constructs and battle engines to be free in larger battles if your opponent has constructs and or you know, gargantuans, colossals, or battle engines in his army. So you guys, if you have the same mount, they are free, so you can spend your points in other spots. So makes a lot bigger battles and a lot cooler battles in my opinion, but we'll see how that runs in the future. Let's move on. And last but not least, and not in Mark IV yet, I imagine they're probably getting it up to that point, but the Well of Orbro, Circle Construct. Among the many powerful elemental tools built by the Blackclads of the Circle Orbros, the Well of Orbros are perhaps the most versatile and awe-inspiring. Most of these floating edifices are ancient, having been built by former Omnipotence at places of special convergence. They tap into the sprawling ley line network of Cain, and by that connection, each can facilitate the crossing of vast distances by forces of the Circle Obros. The energies that pass through them can be drawn upon or invoked seismic upheavals or bolster and empower both wolds and druids in their vicinity. A well has no will of its own, but each responds instantly to the thought of the black-clad leaders in its way that seems alive and purposeful. 
And unfortunately, there is no Mark IV, but we can actually discuss the crazy stuff that it did in Mark III. And I've personally never seen one of these things before. I would love to, because the Well of Orbros is a cool model. It looks like a floating, well, basically waterfall with a lot of runes invoked on it as well. Makes these things crazy neat to see. And since they are a construct or a structure, that means once they're out in the battlefield, they do not move. So, and I love seeing structures on the battlefield because structures actually create kind of a cool, almost a, almost like a theme-based terrain feature, which, you know, I always love in battles, but let's see what this guy is. Uh, he is a construct. He has eyeless sight. He has a rat of six, defense five, arm 19. Uh, he has destructive power, which means he can damage himself to gain a boosted attack or damage rolls. Uh, he is play, he is forward deployment, so he's deployed eight inches out, which makes sense for constructs. He is a nexus of power, so so while in his command range, um, guys with the Fury Manipulation special ability extend their range by two inches. And then he has a special one-time ability called Opening the Gate, which allows you to add to play one friendly living non-character faction solo with a point cost of five or less to the battlefield and placed within three of it, which is insane if you just need a very specific solo. And since Circle Obros has made a very interesting solos, I imagine that's one of the reasons this guy has not been pulled out to Mark IV yet, but that is something that I hope happens soon. And then in Mark III, this guy had Waken the Stones, which gave every construct model hyper-aggressive, so if they were damaged, they got to advance towards the model that damaged them, so... Yeah, the out of, I, I feel like they were trying to restrict the out of turn movements a little bit, so that's probably why that one is probably not in yet, but let's see what kind of weapons he was whipping out. Alrighty, his main weapon, well, his only weapon is called Stinkhole, range 14, rate of fire 1, AoE of 4, power 14. Special abilities on this guy is magical weapon, he's bone keeper, so models hit are removed from play. Uh, however, he can actually give corpse tokens of models he killed to models within the proximity. Um, it's called From Beneath, so it ignores cover and concealment. High Explosive, which means its blast damage is still a pound 10. And Rear Attack, when declaring attacks to this weapon, it can target models in its back arc, which is probably removed because Mark IV doesn't have any back arc anymore. So yeah, this guy is a, a great model to have. Brings things back from the dead, makes stones better, makes magic better. And its sinkhole gun is actually pretty devastating for any models hit by it. So, yeah, and you can remove bodies, so that's always a very useful. But, as mentioned at the beginning of this video, that's it. That is everything the Circle Obros has. And the following time I read Circle Obros, we'll be pulling out the histories from the old archives. And we'll be reading that in its, in its uh, entirety as well. Uh, which that's probably going to be a pretty long video as well. But as mentioned, that is it. Everything about the Circle Obros armies, all their warlocks, solos, units, and everything is is red. So that will end that chapter. Well, until we read the histories, you know, in a couple weeks. But thank you guys so much for listening. If you have listened to all the Obros, I appreciate it. It really does help. Um... Thank you again, Privateer Press, for letting us read your fantastic lore. And if you enjoy this channel, please like, subscribe, tell your friends and fellow gamers about it, help us grow, help us get better, help us keep doing this so I can keep reading this. And 
if you have any stories or cool comments or you know it, or if you have any pictures of cool models that you've painted from the circle over us please feel free to post them we would love that and as always class dismissed